You're listening to True Story, a night of true tales told to friends. Some listeners may remember, when we came back from summer break last year, we told you we'd been working on a secret project. The time has come to reveal the secret. As you know, we publish stories from True Story parties all over. Most of them are recorded in living rooms in people's private homes, and you and I get to listen in on these intimate gatherings. There's a certain electric feeling when people open up to tell stories from their lives. But here's the thing. On the podcast, we're only sharing a tiny taste of that feeling. It's the live, in-person experience where the real magic happens. Those of you who host True Story Parties know this firsthand. So we've been asking ourselves, how can we create a way for everyone to experience the magic of a True Story Party without having to organize a big event? And we found an answer. For the past year, we've been working on a True Story game, a party game that brings the authentic True Story experience to you. It's a true story party in a box, one you can take anywhere and play with any group whose stories you want to hear. What's more, the game teaches everyone who plays it how to tell better stories, making it perfect for folks like teachers, counselors, writers, or business people. We're really proud of what we've created, and we'll be sharing more details on the podcast soon. In the meantime... If this idea of a storytelling game excites you, we can send you an email when it's available to pre-order. Just head to truestorygame.com. That's truestorygame.com. Time for a story. The following story came to us from our friends in Oakland, California, at an event where the theme was, and then boom. The education program for gifted youth is not a summer camp. It's the summer institutes. So the students aren't campers. They're institutionalized youth. And I, I got to spend two consecutive summers working there. I had the questionable privilege. And after the first summer, I learned that something had to change. We needed a new system of justice there. Not, not because we needed harsher punishments for the kids. It wasn't, it wasn't that. No, 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 no. No, it was actually that we needed this intermediate layer of in-house justice so that they wouldn't get kicked up to the director of the program because sometimes the director would just boot them out if they broke a rule. And that just effectively, like, burned a small trash can of their parents' money. And so we don't, right? This is like several thousand dollars. So we didn't want that. We didn't want that. So I invented, before the second summer, the Wheel of Misfortune, which if you broke a rule, you'd spin it, and you'd land on one little slice of it, and then you would have to do something, serve your punishment. You would have to go to the ketchup pump in the cafeteria, fill up your palm and stand up on a table and then slap yourself across the face. <laughs> you would have to go a whole day without using the letter V. You'd have to observe 24 hours of complete silence with the opposite sex. Or 
or the the best one, really, the one that was most in keeping with the spirit of the wheel was the mystery slice. You just had no idea what would happen to you. If you ran out. No clue whatsoever. And that's really what it was all about because it wasn't about punishment. It was just about fear, right? So that. <laughs> Let's be real. It was about fear, so that no one would have to get in trouble, and no one would really have to suffer any serious consequences. So we come into the second summer. We have the wheel at our disposal, and the wheel is working beautifully because it never even needs to be used, right? The, everyone's just kind of tittering, afraid of what will happen if they're the first person to spin the wheel. No one wants to be first. But when you get a couple weeks into the term, the, the kids start getting a little bit antsy, right? They're a little, they're a little more rambunctious. They're testing. The limits, and this period coincides exactly with my birthday, and I, uh, with some foresight, saved up a couple uh, off shifts so that I could take kind of my whole birthday off, just be off work, because otherwise we're there all the time, right? We're living in this house with thirty kids and a few other counselors. But I have this day、uh, starts at eight p.m. the night before, and I'm free. Be with my friends. We have a great time. You know, we're around, but we're just kind of lurking. We don't need to do. We don't, lurking, not working, was the theme of the night. And I don't remember all the things that we did. But the next morning was just as nice, sunny, beautiful, just blissful birthday. And it was all very quiet. It was all very green. And I didn't have to so much as look at a lanyard. The whole day was beautiful. <laughs> But then, 8 p.m. that night, I'm starting my shift again. So you know, I'm still. This is late summer. Sun's going down. There's just a golden haze all around and in my mind. And I'm walking up the steps. I open the front door of this house, and there's this electric atmosphere. Kids running around. It's like bubbling on the edge of pandemonium. I have to grab a couple of kids, like shake them. Like, what is? What is this? What's happening? And they tell me there's going to be a trial. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. oh, go on. <laughs> Four of the boys, Nico and Stevie, they were, they broke curfew last night, and you got to be the judge. You're the only one who's impartial. You're the only one who wasn't here when it happened. So it's got to be you. You're the only authority figure who can do this. So it's it's you. And then it hits me. This is the single greatest gift the universe could have given me on my birthday because I get to preside over this trial, right? I mean, the the, the stakes the stakes are incredibly low, right? Right? No, it's like it's right. It's like right. It's okay. So maybe you have to slap yourself with some ketchup. Nothing bad is really going to happen, but. In this, you know, we're through the looking glass now, so things get blown way out of proportion. I realize that I am in Wonderland. So we slap together this jury. It's composed mostly of my friends who are, you know, were finishing my birthday celebrations with me, and they put a big armchair up on top of a coffee table overlooking this mass of students, and this trial just brings out society in miniature. From this class of thirty high school students, right? You have these young, kind of delinquent, smart, and wily boys who believe they haven't broken any laws. You know, they're defying the system now because they're innocent. You have the defense attorney, right? This very committed, very enthusiastic, bright young woman who 
does mock trial for her high school. She's gonna, she's gonna, she believes she's going to save these boys, right? And then you have the eager masses of students just, just praying for justice or mercy, mostly justice. And it begins. The prosecutor comes up. This is my co-counselor, Marilee, and she just pulls out her cell phone. You can see them getting nervous as she does this very slowly and deliberately. It's like a video presses play. She had video evidence of these boys after 11 o'clock, the lights on, just kind of making noise, like kind of taunting her a little bit and like sticking their feet outside of the door, like really, you know, they're really doing it. They're really testing it. So this is very incriminating. There, it's not, it's, you can feel the air get heavier with size when this happens because it's, it's not looking good for them. And then next up, two female students who lived on the third floor and they give this additional testimony that they heard some noise, some clattering out on the fire escape next to their room, right? This is a no-no. Students are not supposed to be out on the fire escape, much less at night after curfew. And so everyone's, you know, there are a lot of oohs in the crowd at this point. And then that brought something to mind for me. It was like, we were on the fire escape last night. That's what it was. It was me and my friends, Benjamin and Gina, and we, you know, this it would be inappropriate, it would be unseemly for me to reveal this at the time. I'd be stealing their thunder, really, if I let that. So I kept that to myself. I just got to enjoy that privately. And it's really not looking good for them now at this point, right? It's there's no, really not looking good. But nonetheless, the defense attorney comes up and she starts to deliver a really impassioned speech about why these boys are innocent, right? This video evidence. What they were doing wasn't that bad. They really certainly don't deserve a spin of the wheel. That would be ridiculous and completely cruel and unusual. These were the words. She used, and it, it rang so true for another student in the audience, another really smart young girl who stands up and says, you know, what would our parents think if they knew that they had sent us to a camp where we'd have to like slap ourselves with ketchup? What would they say to that? And so it's like, that's a good question. Everyone's listening at this point. And I have to answer for it. So I said to her, we don't need to deal in hypotheticals. <laughs> you are in such a place. This is it. <laughs> she didn't know what to say that. No, so she sat back down. And then now it was time for the verdict. So the jury walks out. They're gone for a bit, but not that long. They come back in like two minutes. Twelve of them have conferred. And they hand me this piece of paper. I open it. I get to read it. Guilty. 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 All four of them have to spin the wheel. And it, and it all comes true, right? There are ketchup slaps. One of them has to watch 
the worst movie in known human history, take detailed notes on it, and then deliver it as a puppet show for the whole house. <laughs> all of these things. Right, but the, right so again, the, the stakes were really low, but it all reminded me that sometimes it's really best to pretend that they're not. <laughs> True Story is produced by Kevin Townsend, Daniel Steinbach, Zandra Clark, and me, Will Rogers. Our theme music is by Daniel Steinbach, and you also heard some music by Poddington Bear. Special thanks to our Patreon supporter and executive producer, John Hogan. John Hogan, you are awesome. If anyone wants to join John and support the creation of this podcast, head to truestorytime.org slash love. Coming up next on True Story. Oh my God, this is my chance to like prove I'm a sexually liberated woman. This is my chance to prove I'm independent. Like I'm not dependent on my boyfriends. So I was kind of like on the hunt constantly. <laughs> and once again, if you want to get a link when the game is available to pre-order, head to truestorygame.com. Everyone, I hardly know you, but when something comes and grabs a hold, take the hands that open up. A life that's led is something gold. I've been alone, I've been.